0: 1949, communist leaders formalized the division of a nation with the creation of the German Democratic Republic. In the West, this was portrayed as an opportunistic act by puppets of the Soviets who wished to impose their ideology on Eastern Europe. But the story of German communism began long before 1949. In this two-part special, I will examine the roots of the ideology, its adherence, growth and the factors that led to the creation of the totalitarian state widely known as East Germany. 1917, a green coloured sealed train pulls into station. The normally busy platforms are cordoned off. No one is to have access to the train or its secretive cargo. Dozens of Russian exiles, led by a man named Vladimir Ilyich Ulyanov, or as his mates called him, Lenin. At the time, Germany was engaged in a war against Russia and its allies. So the notion of allowing a sealed train one that is not subject to customs inspections to pass through the country, was peculiar, to say the least. More surreal was the moment when the beer-guzzling German troops warmly greeted the Russian delegation. Aside from animosity between warring nations, Lenin and his cronies were communists. They were diametrically opposed to everything Kaiser Wilhelm stood for. They were mortal enemies, but the Kaiser... Was willing to make a short-term deal with the devil if it helped his nation achieve its ultimate goal, winning the war. The Tsar of Russia had abdicated weeks earlier, and a coalition dominated by bureaucrats was struggling to keep the country together. The Germans were banking on the fact that if Lenin returned to Russia, he'd spark a second, this time, Bolshevik revolution. And if he did that, Russia, gripped by civil war, would be forced to sue for peace with Germany. One German official compared facilitating Lenin's journey with sending a gas shell into the enemy trenches, but the Russians would return the favour within just a few years. Lenin's whistle-stop tour was far from the first encounter Germany had had with communism. The basic tenets of the ideology, equality, a classless society and public rather than private ownership had been around for centuries. Greek philosophers and religious clerics had long advocated for embracing these ideals. But the vague ideas began to coalesce into a more complex doctrine during the Enlightenment, when scholars like Rousseau and John Locke began to re-examine society. These writers examined the status quo and offered their ideas of the perfect utopia. The Industrial Revolution caused a boon in left-wing political movements. German writer Friedrich Engels contributed to this when he wrote The Condition of the Working Class in England in 1945. Having researched life in the northwest of England, Engels found that the urban working class worked harder, were poorer, sicker, and less well compensated than their rural counterparts. The modern factory owners were getting wealthier, ...while their employees were living much like medieval serfs. Engels' book was based on the situation in England... ...but the same conditions existed everywhere in the industrial world. A few years later, Engels and his German compatriot Karl Marx... ...produced the Communist Manifesto. It was their roadmap to a better world. They proposed ending the class society by abolishing inheritance rights... ...the efficient and equitable use of land and resources putting an end to child labour, free education, employment for all, and more controversially, taking away the property from anyone who didn't agree with them. The main points in the proposal were widely supported among the working classes. The release of this work coincided with a series of rebellions and uprisings in Europe. With the exception of Germany, the work hadn't been released in the affected nations. So, the Communist Manifesto didn't inspire these results, but it did demonstrate that Marx and Engels had their fingers on the public pulse. During the next half century, reformist movements and labour unions gained strength everywhere from London to Russia. But more and more political groups emerged. The left wing movement splintered. The socialists, anarchists, and communists agreed on much, but differed on the details. Is comparable with Christianity. You start with the four Gospels and they give you the general gist. But over time, people extrapolate, fill in the blanks, and you're left with Catholics, Protestants, Orthodox, and Jehovah's Witnesses, all with distinct beliefs and practices of their own. The left-wing ideologues inspired some individual acts of violence. In Germany, Kaiser Wilhelm I survived two assassination attempts within the space of a month. One was carried out by an East German anarchist, the other by a doctor who had very loose connections with socialist groups. In response, Germany passed anti-socialist laws, which among other things forbade socialists from holding meetings, closed down trade unions and shut down the various left-wing publications. The ban was finally lifted in 1890, at which point the Social Democratic Party of Germany became the best supported in the Reichstag. It was the most powerful, Marxist-inspired political entity in Europe. On the eve of World War I, the SDP won a third of the seats in the Reichstag. Their influence was growing, but they soon ran into a major roadblock. In 1914, war broke out in Europe. Despite close connections across national boundaries between various left-wing groups, many of the socialists, Marxists and anarchists felt compelled to put their political ideas on hold and support their own nation's efforts in the war. This went against the principle of the decades-old agreement to oppose militarism, but as war commenced, the SDP voted in favour and suspended domestic political actions, such as strikes. However, this towing of the official line caused a split in the SDP. Polish-born Rosa Luxemburg An East German native Karl Liebknecht broke ranks. Luxembourg arranged a huge anti-war protest in Frankfurt, the city Lenin's train would stop in just three years later. For her efforts, she was sentenced to a year in jail. Unperturbed, she and Liebknecht founded a new radical Marxist group that came to be known as the Spartacus League. The fact Lenin was purposely kept away from German socialists ...while passing through the country in 1917, shows you just how concerned the government were with a foreign revolutionary inciting the domestic Marxist crowd. He made his way to Russia, where the inevitable Bolshevik revolution unfolded as planned. Although, Russia's subsequent withdrawal from the war did very little to help the Kaiser, as the United States intervened on behalf of the Western Allies. Militarily, Germany was in a strong position... But the economy had been crippled by an embargo. The starving public in cities like Berlin were increasingly vocal in their discontent. Left-wing groups, including the Spartacus League, continued to rail against the war. By 1918 the civilian parliament had had enough. They agreed an armistice to end the war. While this was playing out in Germany, Russia had descended into violence and chaos as the Bolsheviks exterminated the royal family and set about settling scores with Ukrainians, Finns and various left-wing groups whose views diverged slightly from Lenin's. Rosa Luxemburg became a vocal critic of Lenin for his perceived deviation from Marxism. His response was along the lines of, building a Marxist state is a lot harder than it looks. To his point, Russia was less developed politically and socially than Germany, and had been painfully slow to industrialize. Germany, was a much better fit for a purer Marxist revolution and Rosa Luxemburg called for precisely that. A lot of people heeded her call, but the revolting masses didn't have a shared single ideology. Sailors in the north mutinied and pushed for a pacifistic democratic state. Unions in Berlin rallied at the Reichstag and attempted to form a government. Meanwhile Luxemburg's Spartacist party declared the creation of a new socialist state, while her former colleagues in the SDP proclaimed their own republic separately on the same day at the same time. Necessity forced the rival groups to work together, and the SDP spearheaded a new democratic form of government within which Marxists led by Luxembourg had little to no sway. In response, they merged the Spartacist League with a similarly minded group, Known as the Communist Party of Germany, or KPD. A year later, Germany was gripped by strikes and protests as the fledgling government struggled to recover from the devastation of war. Luxembourg wanted the KDP to earn legitimacy by participating in elections, but Liebknecht supported a takeover through revolution. On the 7th of January, half a million protesters converged on Berlin and a chaotic mob seized power, Luxembourg and her KDP allies tried to form a revolutionary Marxist regime. But within about a week, she and Liebknecht were dead. Coming up, a right-wing force emerges in Germany, and the communist leaders seek refuge in Moscow. Fascinating People, Fascinating Places presents Five Amazing Facts. Brought to you by Daniel Mainwaring, author of When Babel Floods and the Treacherous Exhibit. The East German government decriminalized homosexual acts in 1968, a full year before the same legislation passed in West Germany. Despite the appearance of progressive policies, Prejudice and discrimination continued for many years. Cramped, noisy and unreliable, the domestically produced travanc cars became an icon of East Germany. Such was the demand. People were on waiting lists for up to 13 years before getting their new cars. Composer Johann Sebastian Bach was born in the eastern part of Germany in 1685. In his honour, schoolchildren in the GDR attended biennial Bach festivals to commemorate his music. In 2005, Angela Merkel became the first East German to serve as Chancellor since reunification. She is also the only woman to have served the role. Official statistics appear to show the crime rate in East Germany. Was just 10% of the rate in the West. Some skeptics have criticised the East German reporting, but even with revisions made, it appears crime was significantly lower in the East than the West. <laughs> While many civilians had supported the armistice that ended the war, some in the military had not. They felt the civilian government had betrayed them, and they were hardly likely to embrace a new, so called, People's Regime, based on ideas flowing from Russia. Many returning soldiers joined irregular army or paramilitary groups called Freikorps. Some of these heavily armed troops worked as mercenaries for the weak central government. Others were more like right-wing vigilantes, roaming the cities and terrorizing communists. The Freikorps ended the rebellion while its leaders went into hiding. Upon being discovered, Luxembourg and Liebknecht were murdered by Freikorps troops. Their comrade, Wilhelm Pieck, escaped capture and ultimately sought exile in Russia where he continued to draw up plans for a communist German state. Despite the demise of the brief Socialist Republic, Marxism remained vibrant in Germany. In March 1921, a man named Max Holtz began to stir up discontented workers by urging action against the regime. The unrest began in East Germany and included attacks on train lines and the police. The KPD saw an opportunity to push for a communist revolution. Lenin decided it was time to send his own gas cylinder back into Germany. Bella Kuhn, a communist exile from Hungary, who had already sparked a revolution and the brief creation of a socialist republic in his own country, came to Germany. Lenin believed Kuhn had the prowess and experience to turn widespread discontent into a national revolution. Kuhn was dispatched to Hamburg, which had become the epicentre of the protests. Heavily armed insurgents were eventually defeated by artillery units. Order was restored. Holtz was imprisoned, while Kuhn, viewed by Lenin as a failure, crept away and continued to serve the Soviets for another 20 years. The failure of the uprising led to further internal squabbling within the KDP. Things settled down in the 1920s when Ernest Thalman, assumed leadership of the group. For a time, the KDP peacefully participated in the parliamentary democracy, but the police killings of protesters in 1925 provoked Thalman to form a paramilitary wing of the party, the Alliance of Red Front Fighters. The rival Nazi party had paramilitaries of its own, and both had frequent clashes with the police. The conflict with the police escalated dramatically in May 1929, when the KDP organized an illegal labor rally in Berlin. The police response was brutal. Riots ensued, and over a thousand protesters and bystanders were arrested. Hundreds were injured, and over 30 were killed. Thurman's paramilitary were criminalized, but their activities continued. A new policy required KDP militants to kill two policemen for every communist slain by the police. One particular target of the militants was a police captain, Arnolf. He oversaw riots in the area surrounding the KDP headquarters. Displaced him directly in the communist cross sites. At the behest of politician Walter Ulbricht, Arnolf and another officer were murdered in 1931. One of their assassins was a young Berlin native named Erich Milker. He would later become notorious as the leader of the East German secret police, the Stasi, but this was his coming-of-age moment in the realm of terror. After the assassinations, he fled to Moscow and became a key figure in Stalin's purges. It was during this era that the KDP formed an unlikely and ill-fated alliance with Hitler's Nazis. Despite being on opposite ends of the political spectrum, Neither party were in favour of a parliamentary democracy. The Marxist-inspired SDP had long since shifted to a left-of-centre, mainstream stance, and it was the party dominating the Reichstag. The Nazis hoped the KDP could split the left-wing vote and weaken the SDP. The communists thought by adding a few references to nationalism in their propaganda that they could win over the voters from among the Nazis' power base. However clashes between the two groups resulted in a parting of ways in 1932 when Thalmann founded a new paramilitary group called Anti-Fascist Action or Antifa. The Nazis returned the most votes in the 1932 elections and pushed through legislation that enabled Hitler to act without the support of the Reichstag. The KDP had served its purpose and the ties were severed. Worse followed in 1933, when rumours of a communist uprising began to spread through Berlin. When the Reichstag suddenly went up in flames, all eyes were on the communists. The police quickly captured the alleged assailant, a homeless man of Dutch origin, said to be a socialist. In the eyes of the judiciary and some of the public, the blame didn't rest on this individual, but on all communists. President von Hindenburg reacted by passing legislation to control free speech and ban political meetings. Thousands of communists, including Thalman, were arrested and the KDP was officially banned. Nonetheless, a dissenting communist named Willy Munzenberg conducted his own investigation. His conclusion was that the Nazis started the fire as a false flag operation to implicate the KDP. Ninety years later, historians still argue about the real story behind the fire. With communism banned Walter Ulbricht, who ordered the police assassinations, fled to the USSR where he joined the likes of Milka and Pieck. While there he chose not to advocate th- for the release of his comrade Thalman, even when relations between the USSR and Germany improved as Hitler and Stalin drew up plans for the division of Poland. In any post-Nazi regime, Ulbricht wanted to be the boss and there was no room for Thalman. Despite prominent communists fleeing Germany, the activity continued, albeit in the shadows. One active member of the underground party was Erich Honecker. As a teenager, he'd been educated in Leningrad before returning home and joining the KDP. He began distributing printed anti-fascist materials and was arrested by the Gestapo in 1935. Honecker later claimed he never swayed in his beliefs despite intense interrogation during his 10 years in captivity. But files released after the collapse of the GDR that had long been held in secret by his colleague Milka would reveal an entirely different sequence of events. Not only did Honecker formally renounce communism, he offered to serve in Hitler's army, something which required taking an oath to the Führer. He also freely provided information on his communist counterparts to the Nazis. In 1945, he briefly escaped captivity before surrendering himself to the police. He was chastised for this act by senior communists as it could have led to reprisals against his fellow prisoners. But Honecker was forgiven and allowed to continue his rise in the party. Later that year, Allied forces raced into Berlin as the nazi state capitulated. Hitler and most of his henchmen were dead. Others were destined for the war crimes trials in Nuremberg. Additionally, Milker, Ulbricht, Pieck and the other surviving communists were back. And this time, they would brought along some friends. The mighty Soviet Red Army. On the 7th of October 1949 Cigar-smoking bureaucrats in a crowded Berlin Hall announced the establishment of the world's newest state, the German Democratic Republic, known to the rest of the world simply as East Germany. More than a century after the exiles Marx and Engels released their explosive manifesto, after decades of strikes, protests, persecution under the Nazis, and two failed revolutions. There was a communist state in Germany. Four years earlier, Churchill, Roosevelt, and Stalin agreed on establishing temporary allied zones of occupation in post-war Germany. But with Hitler out of the way, old tensions rose to the surface, and ideological differences emerged between the wartime allies. The American, British, and French occupation zones had merged to create the Federal Republic of Germany. Having already installed Soviet friendly puppet regimes in the rest of Eastern Europe, Stalin was never likely to allow the Soviet zone to merge with a western leaning democracy. Just 80 years after Bismarck helped to unify the disparate principalities into a unified nation, Germany was ripped asunder. The name of the GDR implies it was governed through a democratic process. But the communists always had a peculiar idea of democracy when compared with the West. There was no list of candidates or parties to choose from, just the name of pre-selected individuals who would form the government. The only question on the ballot was, do you like these guys, yes or no? About two thirds of the electorate came out in favour of the new regime. By later communist standards that was disappointing as many elections returned numbers showing close to 100% of voters supporting the government. But the communists hadn't yet firmed their grip on the country, so the 33% of naysayers may have believed they actually had another option. The initial government was in theory representative of the various political parties, but the bulk of the candidates came from one, the newly formed Socialist Unity Party. It had been put together through a forced marriage between the Communist Party and their old rivals in the Social Democratic Party. Some variety was added, with the inclusion of representatives of the National Democratic Party, another group founded by a communist, but one that had been geared up to appeal to former Nazis. And even after the war, Nazis weren't in short supply. A few decades earlier, Rosa Luxemburg had advocated for real, democratic elections she'd slammed the Soviet model of governance for creating a bureaucracy controlled by a handful of all-powerful men the new regime in Germany was precisely the kind of communist government she had feared the real power rested in the hands of a few her old buddy Pieck was the de facto leader joining him were Albrecht the man who'd left the KDP leader to rot in a Nazi jail and subordinates such as Honecker who betrayed his mates to the Nazis, and Milka, who'd moved on from committing murder in Berlin to eagerly egging on Stalin during the Soviet purges of the 1930s. Suffice to say, they weren't exactly the fresh young faces offering a brighter tomorrow. In the next episode. Today, in the world of freedom, the proudest boast is Ich bin ein Lena Kennedy comes to Berlin and Gorbachev pulls the rug out from under Hanukkah. Well, stone the flaming crows. It's time for Dan to do the Harry. Watch out for the next podcast and follow all Dan's activities at www.danielmainwaring.com.